Well, I thought this morning I'd just share a little bit about just a wee bit of my testimony. And uh, I think just important to, to bleed into the message that I have for today. And as a teenager, I was living really two lives, um, a church life and a biker gang life, believe it or not. I would go to church, I would do fun things with the youth group, but I also liked riding motorbikes and hanging out with the guys from a motorcycle gang. But my, people might not have heard of it at all, but it was the Gypsy Outlaws, which, which was on the North Shore in Auckland. Now, I thought I'd just put up a photo just to give some sort of proof. How can you tell it's Sally Ann? <laughs> and those days I had some hair. <laughs> so you may as well wear it long while you've got it. <laughs> uh, would anybody like to see what Sally Ann looks like in those days? Uh, okay, let's put up another photo. <laughs> so... You know, living two lives is easy to do, I think. And you can have a foot in both camps, but you're not going to go anywhere. And one day our youth group got invited to the Wilson home, a home for children with disabilities. And God did something to me, and I started going back and back, reading stories to the kids and pushing their trolleys and wheelchairs. And we just have a photo there of the Wilson home. And it's still like that today. Uh, the, the, um, the equipment is probably a lot more modern than it was back when my day. There was wooden trolleys, used to push the kids around. And, and uh, he put something in my heart, and it was important. You know, God is a God of love, and he loves people. He loves kids, and he wants to work through people. And it changed my life. You know, there's a verse in in Isaiah 30 that says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. We all hear that voice and we all choose to go one way or another. But following that verse, if we make the right choice, you'll see here that it says, then you will defile your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold and he's very harsh in how he speaks. He's very blunt. You will throw them away like a menstrual cloth and say to them, away with you. So that's what, well, that's what God thinks of your idols. You might not want to think too deeply about that, but that's what he actually thinks of your idols. He will send you rain for the seed you sow in the ground, and the food that comes from the land will be rich and plentiful. In that day, your cattle will graze in broad meadows. You see, you know in your life you've probably been stolen from by your choices. But when you've made the right choices in God, God has blessed you and helped you and given you provision. And in that stage in my life, in the early stages of my life, I had that choice to make whether to to go down and enjoy one road or to go to the other, but he'd changed my heart. 
and I realized that others were more important than myself. I began to realize it wasn't about me. God showed me at a very early stage in my life that other people mattered to him. And if they mattered to him, they should also matter to me, his son. He put a conviction in my heart that I could make a difference. And Sally and I gave our hearts to the Lord. We went to seek out a leader and say, it's time we want to give our hearts to the Lord. So he did that work in us, and he did it through serving other people. And even now, after all these years, I'm still challenged to do more. And I just want to show you a little video clip. Hello, my name is Annie. I am from Austin, Texas. I work for Christ Together Greater Austin, and I help with events, social media, and kind of all hands on deck. My neighboring story uh, happened one afternoon while I was working from home, but when I first moved in, uh, I met one of my neighbors who we parked next to each other, and it was a super brief interaction. Uh, we exchanged names, but I didn't think that he would be very relevant in my life, so it kind of went in one ear and out the other. Um, so after meeting him, really, we had very little interaction except smelling his pot through the walls every now and again. Um, and other than that, I didn't think much of him. Uh, one afternoon, I pulled in after coming back from a meeting and um, was working in my apartment and watching TV, answering emails, taking phone calls, and I heard like people running up the back stairs, um, heard them banging on a door, and so I turned the TV off and started listening, and after a while, the door finally opened and he answered the door, and I heard the cops say, it's APD, um, we're here for crisis intervention. Um, I believe his, he called his mom and then the mom called um, APD, but he was going to take his life. He'd been going to, I think, like a counselor or something and that they prescribed him stuff, but that the drugs were only making suicidal th thoughts worse. They asked the claim to take his life and he said because he was depressed and really the conversation kind of went from there and I didn't get to hear the end of the conversation I heard them talk about taking him and to him get help and you know going to a treatment facility or something like that but I don't really know how the conversation ended I heard them leave and then really after that I his car was gone uh, for like um, until like literally like last week or so, there was a moving truck outside. His car was back for like an hour and a half, um, and I haven't seen him since. I think the realization I've had after that is that, you know, we can't always assume that there's a tomorrow and something as important as knowing the people that live around you off till tomorrow because in that moment when I started to pray for him it just hit me so hard that I, I didn't even remember his name because I didn't think to remember his name 
and I'd had kind of had the mindset moving in here that this would be, you know, not permanent, that once I, you know, got married and had my own house, then, then I would get to know those neighbors once I was, like, settled. Um, I think I just realized that we are where we are right now for a very specific purpose and that you really never know what's going on around you and for such darkness to be literally right down the hall was just heartbreaking. So it might be easier for all of you to watch me tell my story and see my journey and kind of point the finger, but I think that the reality of it is that there's a lot of spot because we never really know what our neighbors are going through and what's going on around us if we don't take that first step. So I decided to share my story with you because I wanted to encourage you to take that step and get to know your neighbors and to truly love where you live. Hello, my name is Annie and my story is not ending, it's just beginning. I think it's important that we realize that God is speaking to us at a very early age. I want to talk to the mainly to the young people just at the moment. God got hold of me at a, a point in my life I could have gone either way. And he gets hold of you. I thank you for the young people that come to church, get up early and come. It's not an old people's church. God is not old. And he is talking to you today as well as he's talking to everybody else here. I'm challenged by that video. How many people do we speak to in a day or in a week, whether it's a shop assistant, whoever, that we just take no notice of really actually who they are? And yet it's our role to know who they are and to be part of the answer here. I think that, that lady challenges us by saying, if they're not relevant to us, why, why should we know their name? You know, they're, they're not relevant to us. They're not going to help us. They're not part of my life. So they don't count. And I think that's wrong. Don't you agree? Would you agree? So where do we fit into that? What about at school? Do you just hang out with your, your mates? You know what I mean? Or is there somebody at school that nobody hangs out with? Where would Christ be hanging out? In your cool group or with the person that nobody wants to talk to? Maybe they smell or maybe they dress funny or maybe something else is wrong with them. Well, that's where the Lord would hang out. And I think that's where we need to hang out. We also see that Annie's coming to that realization that we can't assume there is a tomorrow. And something as important as knowing the people around us might not have a tomorrow either. You know, I went to the funeral of Jim, Jim Marshall uh, yesterday, and it was great to l listen to the people who got up and gave testimony about Jim being a man of action. And of course, for those who don't know, he was the one who rang the, ran, he ran the free sausages down at the bowl every Wednesday. And he wasn't expecting to pass away, even though he'd had ill health. In fact, he was helping on that Saturday, and they took him in to the hospital because he wasn't feeling well. And that, of course, was his last day. We don't know when tomorrow is, but we don't know the people who we live with when their tomorrow is, or whether they have tomorrow at all. 
So which begs the question, are we saved just for ourselves? And of course, the answer is no. We're not just saved for ourselves. If we were just saved and we got saved, then God would take us to heaven. Why, why after we get salvation do we stay on the earth? Anybody know? What's the reason? I heard that. Help others. Somebody tentatively said to reach others. That's the reason we are saved and we're allowed extra time. Selfish seems such a harsh word. Maybe we're sort of more self-absorbed. Does that sound a bit better? Self-absorbed. Christians, including me, get so tied up in our own business and our interests, we miss opportunities, one, to reach out to a church friend who needs help, whether it's small or big, or to reach a community desperate for a loving saviour. We just get too busy. Then there are those Christians that have been hurt by someone and fallen out with their brothers and sisters in Christ, and loving to them seems such a long way away. But Peter, um, Jesus said to Peter, if we see in Matthew 18, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. You know, so it's a lot. We, we know hurts will come along. In fact, we actually teach it in our new Christians class. It's one of those things we teach them. You're going to get hurt, and you're going to get hurt by the church. But it says in uh, Matthew 5, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets, who were before you. Now, honestly, who comes into church saying, praise God, I've been insulted again. Rich is my reward. You find them out there. They're not in church. They're saying, oh, I'm not talking to that person anymore. I'm not going to that church anymore. They've hurt me. Or, you know, pastors in the past did this and they did that, you know. Nobody's going around saying, rich is my reward because I'm being persecuted or people are saying bad things about me. I met a man for coffee this week who isn't talking to his friend because his friend does not share his strong views on a certain topic. Is that love? You don't now talk to your friend because his views are different from yours. Is that Christ? It's not. And it's embarrassing. You know, I've been asked to go and mediate or be in with employers, uh, um, employees. They've said to me, Pastor, can you come in? Because I think I'm going to get fired. They, they, they're having a meeting, and they'd li I'd like you to come and support me. So I'm sitting there at the table with, uh, with the employer and the employee, and I'm getting so and so embarrassed when they're telling me about how this person behaves in their organization. And afterwards, when we finally get out, I say, you're naughty. That, your boss is more of a Christian than you are. I dread those meetings. You know, the Christian with love should be the best employee an organization has. You know, they should be saying, send more Christians. Go to the church. Get some more people from your church. You guys are the best. 
You know, can everybody say that? Can, can you guys say I'm the best employee apart from the other Christians? Wave to me, you're the best employee. Oh, Slan's waving. There's another couple. It's true though, isn't it? Christ brushes his teeth or her teeth, puts maybe a bit of lippy on, heads out the door and turns up at their employment. Right? Wrong. Grumpy gets up. Grumpy goes to work. Grumpy comes home. Grumpy goes to bed. Let's look at 1 Corinthians. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they, are, they form one body. So it is with Christ. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And Peter says, in 1 Peter, above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Most of all, love each other as if, and this is what the Message Bible says, as if your life depended on it. Above all else, we should love each other. Now, honestly, look around the room. Go on, turn, look around. To be, don't feel embarrassed. Look behind you. Look in front. Find somebody that you love more than yourself. Okay? So you've got one person you love more than yourself. Your kids are out there. Every one of us should be loving everyone in this room as if our life depended on it. That's where I'm coming from. That's the basis of the Christian foundation. Young people, middle-aged people, older people, you should be loving those people in this room at least as much as you love yourself. It's the second most important commandment behind loving God. As it says in Mark, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. You can probably think of the Ten Commandments or some of them, loving God and not coveting thy neighbor's hilux or not <laughs> coveting thy neighbor's swimming pool. You know, they're all in there. But that was to the Old Testament. The New Testament is love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. Do we do that? Does anybody in this room challenge today? If you listed all the people you love a lot and you started up there, the people you love the most, and right down here, you just go past pastor and you get to the service station attendant, all right? Let's just turn that up. Around the other way, in the service station attendant, then the pastor, you know, we can make a difference in this community. But that's what we're asked to do. And that's what we're commanded to do, to love one another. Oh, I just love coming to church because I'm going to feel loved. It's the one place I can get love. Yeah? Yeah? <laughs> the music's too loud. 
it's too cold, it's too hot, the preaching goes on for too long, you know, whatever. But we've got to change. We've got to be loving each other with a vitality, as if our life depends on it. Love is an action word. It should be obvious. It should be obvious. You know, sometimes I just, you see a couple walking down the road and they're holding hands, you know? And then you see an elderly couple walking down the road and they're holding hands and you just, it just makes you feel warm. You, you just, it's something great. But that's love in action, isn't it? And, and it does something to you. And I think the church needs to do something to people coming into it to saying, those people love me. You're wel- most welcome to. And the next thing you're wanting to sing Kumbaya. <laughs> you know, the, the church, the early church was called the Way. All right, you'll find that in Acts, um, Acts nine. It was called the Way, after Christ. So you imagine if we were still called the Way. We weren't called Christians. We were called the Way. So, in other words, that when people see you, they can see the way. So when you're smoking pot, when you're swearing, when you're talking behind people's backs, you know, think of a few more things you're probably going through your head. You are demonstrating to the world the way. Is that right? And we don't want that, do we? So the Christians, having the term Christians, think that's easy. I'm a Christian. You know, I had a guy come into my office one time before I, when I was in the police force, and he, he came in and he said, I hear you're a Christian. And, I, and he said, I've, I'm a Christian now too. And he, he just he heard that I was, and he came in. People used to come into my office just to talk about those sorts of things. You know, even the cleaner came in one day and says, does God have a bad day? I thought, how does the cleaner know I'm a Christian? But anyway, it gets around. <laughs> but later on, you know, a couple of days later, I was in the changing room, and I was on this side of the lockers, and he was on the other side of the lockers, and he was swearing away. You know, and I was just thinking, oh, he's got a little way to go, you know? He's telling me that he's a Christian, but is he actually telling other people in the way he behaves? Now, I didn't judge him, but I just always remember that. You know, how we behave in public should be the same way we behave in church. So our standard is loving one another. All right? Now, Christians can do bad things. But I think if we had the way, we'd be challenged to do the way, so we lead people to the way. And Christian, what does it mean? Pardon? That's right. Christ-like. We forget that. Or in the likeness of Christ. Now, I don't know if you're on your cell phone at the moment or you're Facebooking or whatever in church. You could be looking up a Bible app. But are we Christ-like in school? Are we Christ-like in work? And are we Christ-like at home? This is a foundation I'm just trying to build. And I'm going to get to my message soon. (laughs) 
Paul's writing to the Romans, and he says in Romans 6, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live it any longer? You know, loving God and loving one another deeply should form the foundation of our very lives and everything we do. If we don't love people, how can we get on with what God is asking us to do? And that's where I'm coming to. You see, if we don't love, we don't build a foundation to do what he asks us to do. So we never do it. We never get there. You know, some of the titles of the messages, you might have forgotten them, but here are some of the titles that we've had of recent months. Get out of the boat. Get rid of your stuff. Breaking through into blessing. Our plan or God's plan. You didn't choose me, I chose you. A time to grow. Great faith to step out wherever you are. And even though God is saying to each of us, get going, get busy doing what I've called you to do, we are not meant to do everything alone. We need each other. In Romans, Corinthians, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, and Hebrews, and possibly even more, the Apostle Paul tells the church, and if we just put up there Hebrews, what does it say? What's the first three words? Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. This is what I want to talk about. But you see, how when I was asking, when I felt the Lord was telling me to talk about encouraging one another, I realized that we needed the foundation of loving one another first. As we celebrate Mother's Day, I must say mothers are the best at this, especially encouraging, especially with your children and your grandchildren. You do a great job in every way, and we just honor you for that. You are great encouragers, but we also need to look outside our family home. What does encourage mean? And this may surprise you, but it'll make sense. It means to give courage. So encouraging is, is a word, you know, I'm encouraging, but the, the idea is to give somebody the courage to do something that they either want to do or need to do. You're giving them the courage to do it. You're setting a foundation for them. It might be advice. You might be support. It might be hope. It's wide-ranging, but you think about it, and you know whether you are an encourager or not. Are you giving somebody courage? Are you regularly giving people courage? Let's just um, put up this first picture there. This is, a, this is the simplest picture I can show you of encouragement. There is somebody holding a ladder so that somebody else can succeed, if you think about it. Somebody else has got a job to do, or a vision, or something that needs to be done. And there's a person at the bottom of the ladder holding that ladder to help that person succeed. The, the, the whole point of the person at the bottom of a ladder is to help the other person succeed. Would you agree? If there wasn't another person up the ladder, why would you hold it?
Now, some people's vision might sound a little bit crazy if we just look at the next. Um, so somebody's, but there's somebody there assisting that person to finish painting that wall, but as you can see, the ladder isn't actually standing on the ground. So somebody's vision can be that, but we can help them. And then we can also go into the spectacular. <laughs> this is important. If you take away nothing, but you take away this picture, that's what we're about. We can be the people at the bottom. We can be the people at the top. And our young people need to be the people at the top. Young people, you need to be up there doing wonderful things, fantastic things, things that we wouldn't want to be up there. <laughs> but we've got your back. We're down the bottom. We're holding your ladder, all right? But it's a two-way thing. Those people would have communicated with each other for that to happen. We need to ask for help. But we also need to be asking people, what's your story? How can I be involved in your life? Do we do that? And I don't think we do that well. If we don't love people, we're not going to ask them their business. We're not going to ask them their vision. We're not going to ask them what they're wanting to achieve. Because we're not interested in them. We don't even know their name. We're doing a test at the end of the service to see how many names you know. I'm only kidding. I'm trying to get better at that. If you've been... I've just left out a scripture. I'll just go to that scripture first, Romans 1. That you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. What it's saying is that if you've been through stuff, then you can help someone else through stuff. If you've been on the mission field, you can help somebody else with missions. If you've read your Bible, you can bring words that set people free. If you love God, He brings words of grace through you. We all fit into those categories. John Kerwin tells the story of a severe panic attack while on tour, physically shaking in fear, feeling like jumping out his hotel window. It was real to him. He had just come to that point where he was going to run, I think it was on the 18th floor, at the window and launch himself out. Because that panic attack had got so bad and the words were coming to him, the only way out is out that window. His roommate who happened to be Michael Jones, woke up and said, John, you are a good man and you have a good heart. And that's all he needed. He started repeating to himself, I'm a good man and I have a good heart. It's a fantastic story. God woke him up. He probably didn't know what demons John was going through. He didn't know he was shaking. Didn't know what was going on in his head. He just gave him words of encouragement. And John, look what John's doing now. And helping many people. John also tells the story of 
being cross at God. God, you don't exist. But a pastor asked him, how did you get through all that? He said, the love of my family and the love of my friends. The pastor said to him, don't you think God's a God of love? And he sent that love to you? And it changed John's thinking. Love comes through some wonderful people in our lives. And it's God. The devil does not bring love. God brings love. In Thessalonians it says, Therefore encourage one another and build each other up. Encourage one another and build each other up. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Let's just so wake some of you up. Let's just show another little video clip. And I'm sorry about the quality of the last one. I mean, it doesn't do that when you're preparing. It just does it in church. So let's have this other video clip. When life gets you down, you know what you got to do? I don't want to know what you got to do. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. What do we do? We swim, swim. Doreen Osaini. I love to swim. Doreen. When you want. To swim, you want See, to I'm going to get stuck now with that song. Now it's in my head. Sorry. <laughs> swimming, swimming. <laughs> Who's going to get stuck with that song in their head? Grumpy girls. And you know what? Many of us just need a word or a word to get stuck in our head to get out of something. And it's people who bring that word along. Dory brought a song along. And a friend you are to somebody else. Remember the story of Jesus catching up with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Not knowing about his resurrection, of course, they were downcast. And he says to them, what are you discussing? They stood still, their faces downcast. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, hopefully you won't go around telling people that they're foolish, all right? But what Jesus is saying, you're right. The word actually tells us that this is the answer. And I think sometimes we need people to come along and give us the word to help us out of the fog that we're in. In Luke it says, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning with us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? In other words, the scriptures released them and their eyes were open to the truth. And so it's important that we know the word and we can share it gently with people. Otherwise, we read the things like we see in Job. Then Job replied, I've heard many things like these. Miserable comforters are you all. <laughs> so we don't want to be miserable comforters, all right? Like Job's friends. 
Pastor Wayne Sutton says, believing in people before they have proved themselves is the key to motivating people to reach their potential. And I think mothers are good at that. And I think of my mother. Mother's the, she was the best. She was a great encourager. All right? We believe in our kids, don't we? We believe they're going to succeed. We believe they're not just going to get saved. They're going to go on for God and do some damage to the enemy. We believe that they're going to do well. All right? They don't often believe that. And so we need to encourage. But the same with everybody in life. They need a belief that they can do well. He says most people don't have any faith in themselves. So without faith, they seldom rise above their worst fears. Their little faith, combined with your faith, can achieve extraordinary, even miraculous things. Bill Sabritsky, his wife sort of got him, his first wife got him into sort of finally going to a life group. And over a period of time, the life group leader would say, Bill, the anointing is on you. You need to step out into it. Bill tells the story that he went, the, the leader told him 36 meetings before he believed it and stepped out into it. And of course, we know the ministry that Bill had. That constant encouragement, I can see it, I believe it in you, step into it. It's believing in people. He goes on to say, those who believe in us do more than stimulate us, they create an atmosphere for us to succeed. And that's our role also, to create an atmosphere for somebody else to succeed. Body parts never really work on their own. You notice that? <laughs> Your body parts have got to be attached. I'd like the musos to come up because time's running by. I want you to make a decision today to get alongside somebody else in the coming weeks and ask them, listen to their story, listen to their dreams, their God-given dreams. This will lead you into action. And then check up on them. Think of whose ladder you can hold. And if you need somebody to hold your ladder, share that with people. You know, we're going to go out shortly out here to have morning tea. You're going to talk about the weather, the fishing, the, the shopping, or no shopping up here. Um, <laughs> You're going to just talk about the surface things. But sometimes it's a connection. And I hear that somebody needs a job or somebody needs such and such or somebody has an idea of a ministry and I try to connect people. Think about it holding somebody's ladder. Take a chance this week. Take a risk. When somebody asks, gives you their name, say to yourself, what was your name again? Retain it. Let's all stand. Let's all stand.